Hello and welcome, esteemed gamers, friends, listeners. It is Leighton here from Leighton Night with Brian Wecht, and I just wanted to tell you that if you're looking to get even more podcast goodness to put in your face, then we've got just the thing for you, which is the official Leighton Night Patreon. We have several tiers where you can get access to recommendation lists for every episode, listen to Patreon-exclusive minisodes, get into the super awesome fan Discord, and watch videos like Brian's songwriting process for jingles on the show, or me taking apart and cleaning my mechanical keyboards. It's really fun and cool, and we super appreciate your support. It's neat. We would love to see you there. Without any further ado, here's the episode. Enjoy. Love you. Bye. JP, you and I have not talked about books much. We talk a lot about pop culture stuff, but I feel like books is not part of something we talk about that much. That's true. I have a weird relationship with books. Like, I like certain things and I tend to stick to them. Such as? I mean, I'm a huge Douglas Adams fan. Same. Nice. His books feel like comfort food for me. Totally. So I will revisit those. But then... I like reading like political documentary style books. Like nonfiction? Yeah, like I read The Mueller Report <laughs> its entirety. <laughs> you read The Mueller Report? Yeah. Fuck. It was insane. Like that was really interesting to me. I like books about like this clandestine CIA stuff. And I can't believe you read The Mueller Report. Like, Sounds like a light and fun beach read. Yeah. <laughs> definitely reads like a court document. But it was really interesting. And how they arrived at where it wound up is still blows my mind. Like I was 60 pages in and I was like, oh my God, this is a slam dunk. Yeah. Like when news of this comes out, it's going to be like Osama bin Laden drove a school bus into the sun, like <laughs> level. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. But the way that they skirted around it and Mueller was able to like kind of let everything be allowed off the hook, sort of. Yeah, which is crazy. From what I understand, it basically came down to Barr, right? Barr jumped the gun. That was a brilliant move on his part. Yeah, and then Mueller basically didn't say anything after that forever, right? <laughs> well, yeah, and Mueller was so married to the process. To me, it felt like an algebra problem. I also have a weird relationship with algebra where like... <laughs> I always got the right answer, but I didn't do it correctly. Mm -hmm. And algebra is about showing your work and going through the processes, right? So I think that he stayed hitched to that a little too much. And that's what let it off the hook. So Miserable. Yeah. I don't know if we've ever talked about these. I used to reread Hitchhikers like every year. All of them. Same. Did you have like the compendium that had all of them? Because that was my go-to. I like reading them all separately. I had a compendium with the first three and then the next two separately. You know, I got the compendium in the 80s or whatever after Life of the Universe and everything. And there was a short story called Young Zaphod Plays It Safe that was in there also. And then I got So Long and Thanks for All the Fish and Mostly Harmless separately. Did you guys ever end up reading the uh, Owen Colfer and Another Thing follow-up? No, I didn't. Not good. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> he wrote 
very popular young adult series called Artemis Fowl, which as a child loved that shit and also loved Hitchhikers and then read that book and was like, how could you take two things that I like so much and make them so bad? Yeah. Did you ever listen to the BBC Radiophonic Workshop radio drama? Oh, constantly <laughs> in high school, like all the time. For me, it was like once a year. Yeah. I got it from the Signals catalog. Oh, I remember that. Yeah. Leighton, are you too young for this? Do you know Signals? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so catalogs are things that they sent in the mail, which had <laughs> stuff you can buy in them. Shocking. You can exchange money for goods and services through, through, through the catalog. Signals was like NPR level humor stuff. It was like a New Yorker question. Yes, exactly. It was very quote unquote clever. Mm -hmm. And mm. to the kind of thing that now I would look at it and I'd be like, are you fucking kidding me? This sucks. It's very stuffy. Very stuffy. Okay. But when you're a nerdy 12 year old, that's your fucking jam. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Stuffy stuff is like, haha, I get this. Yes. I'm mature for my age, guys. Guys? Yeah, it's like Harvard Lampoon's kind of a deal. Yeah. The one I remember was, they would have this in every fucking issue of the catalog, was you could get it as a t-shirt, you could get it as a poster, a million different things. And it was three quotes, and it said, I'm going to get this slightly wrong, to do is to be, Socrates. To be is to do, Aristotle. Dooby dooby doo, Frank Sinatra. <laughs> and you're supposed to... <laughs> chuckle gently to yourself while reading it. It's funny because scientifically, if you wear both the t-shirt and the poster, uh, you're 100% safe from catching any form of STD because uh, <laughs> you'll be fine, foolproof. I can't tell if it's one of those things that, was it hacky then and I just didn't see it? Or is that style of humor so omnipresent now and so annoying that I just hate it because it's everywhere? I think it's that. I think the internet has gurgled a lot of that kind of stuff to the surface and it's a little overwhelming. Yeah. It's no longer considered clever. Yeah. Comedy isn't funny anymore. I mean, it a lot of times isn't. When the primary comedic currency on the internet is by nature like, let's all copy this thing until it's not funny anymore. Mm -hmm. That's how you know that we're in a good place comedically. Yeah. Let's just beat this series of dead horses. I don't know how to feel about comedy these days. It's so weird. NSP is in such a weird little fringe part of it anyway. We're outside the mainstream and will be forever. And I don't know how I feel about mainstream comedy anymore. I mean, I love some stuff, but... But what is mainstream anymore? Yeah, exactly. Everything is so far flung. Like, I don't even think there is a mainstream to be in anymore. Yeah, I think there's a style, I think. There's the venues, the comedy store and like flappers and stuff like that lends itself to like mainstream comedy mm -hmm. and you know network television. Have you watched network television lately? Fuck no. <laughs> it's a wild ride. <laughs> <laughs> I think I tried to watch the new Ted Danson thing, the Mr. Mayor. That's the closest I've gotten to it. Oh, I don't know. I think everything is so splintered and fragmented that the mainstream might be becoming its own splinter. Mm. Yeah. Okay, so we haven't introduced ourselves yet, but, I mean, JP, you were a Comedy Central artist, right, for a while? I was, yeah, for a few years. Yeah. Wait, okay, first of all, should we be professional for once in our lives and introduce the show and guest less than an hour into the show? Fine, do it. I don't want to either. Hey, everybody, welcome to this podcast, which is called Late Night with Brian Wecht. The voice that you just heard, that's Brian Wecht. No comment. You're not even going to say the thing that you're supposed to say? Fine. Everybody else, this is Layton. Hi. And mystery guest, whose name we've said several times, would you care to introduce yourself? 
Hi, I'm JP Hassan, and I'm myself. Excellent. JP, briefly say where people may or may not know you from. Behind the scenes, I'm a tour manager for Ninja Sex Party, Tim and Eric, Bob's Burgers, Eric Andre, things like that. For many years, I've also done my own musical and comedy projects, uh, one for a long time called Plesiosaur, the other from about 2009 until now called JP Incorporated. And you have a new album out. I do have a new album out. Which is one of the many, many reasons we have you on this week. (laughs) (laughs) New album, it's called Massage and Spa. It's a revolutionary 60-minute relaxation system that I have designed. (laughs) In audio form, it is a very unironic, soothing, massage-esque collection of ambient music when paired with the video, which you can watch on YouTube, complimentary at no cost to you. There is a 60-minute, full one-hour video with visuals complementing each aspect of each massage song. That's how I would encourage people to experience it, is through the video. That's the right way. I agree. It's been really interesting. I mean, I did it as sort of an exercise in restraint. I've been really busy the last several years working for other people like you guys. So I haven't had the time to act upon any of my real silly ideas. And so I finally had time being home in lockdown. So I decided I wanted to do this thing, but I didn't want to make it too obvious or add a bunch of like moaning sounds or, you know, (laughs) whatever. So... If you see any of my other work, it's so hyper-extended in silly that I wanted to kind of go the other direction and see if I could do that while making something actually soothing while it's still being a parody of itself. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that makes sense. No, completely. Totally makes sense. It's interesting, though, too, because a lot of your other stuff, especially the JP Incorporated stuff, I feel like surely you've had people see that and not understand that it's a joke, right, to some extent? I mean, it's extremely obvious, but you play it deadpan enough that it could pass people by. Sure. If it's consumed sort of a la carte, (laughs) then yeah, I think it could be confused if people don't understand nuance. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Very nuanced. And a lot of like the jokes are very minor wordplay, but a little gripe that I have with the world today is somebody sees something that they don't necessarily understand right away, like immediately, their go-to comment, especially in the internet age, is, what am I looking at? Yeah. Please explain everything to me in simple terms so that I may understand and not have to think about it. Yeah. I just miss the days of seeing a piece of art or hearing a piece of conceptual music or seeing a like fucked up movie or something. And having to wait. I mean, I grew up in a tiny town in Western Washington state. So like I had to wait until I was going to the city via ferry boat in order to maybe find a newspaper that had something about what I was interested in. Yeah, totally. Conceptual art is in an interesting place right now. (laughs) Because the media literacy in reading comprehension is so truly abysmal. That's maybe part of it. I just think that the internet has given us 
everybody wants instant gratification. I mean, I'm guilty of it too. Yeah, we all are. Oh, yeah. But when you're on the receiving end of that as the creator or the artist or whatever, very honestly, it's a little frustrating sometimes. Yeah, because it's like a refusal to engage. Yeah. Why can't you just suspend reality and let this thing be, you know? No, no, we feel the same thing with NSP for sure. Mm -hmm. It is... Also an inability to, and Leighton talks about this a bunch on here, uh, contextualize what you're looking at. And when people watch like an early ninja sex party video and they're like, well, this sounds terrible. It's like, well, that's kind of the aesthetic. In a dream world, did we want it to be that? No, but we worked with what we had. You worked with what you had. Yeah. <laughs> because it's so easy for somebody to be like, well, why didn't they just do X, Y, Z? Which is really just code for, well, if I had done this, it would be perfect and good and exactly what I want. But it's not about exactly what you, the audience, wants. It's about what the creator's fucking making. Yeah. Sure. And that's part of the virtuousness of the people consuming your craft. Mm -hmm. Their lens is always perfect and they're the expert. <laughs> right. Always. And again, I'm perfectly guilty of that too. It's impossible to not be guilty of that. Yeah. Which as with all things that like you find yourself doing, it makes you angrier at people doing it. Like, you know, you hate and others what you see in yourself. Uh, totally. Again, very honestly, that's something that I constantly need to be reminded of. Mm -hmm. Whether I'm being gruff with someone, whether I'm analyzing art in a weird way, whatever. I find it helpful to be reminded of that stuff, even though it's uncomfortable. Yeah, of just how much of my own shit am I putting on this and how much of this is what's actually there. Totally. JP, I guess this is the right way of saying it, although correct me, like the first phase of your career when you were plesiosaur, that's pretty much all pre-YouTube, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, I did my first tape in 1991 or 92. Yeah. Jeez. Yeah, I was 15, 92. But the last thing you did as Plesiosaur was probably before YouTube was really like blowing up even, right? Yeah, it was a really weird time where the music industry was dead, but nobody accepted it yet. Right. And YouTube wasn't fully formed yet. So I did a CD, DVD, double disc combo thing for Comedy Central. Mm -hmm. And it was a really bad time for that to come out. <laughs> <laughs> Just because there was no industry to support it and no way for the audience to find it. Yeah, and there were only like two or three people at Comedy Central that liked it and everybody else hated it. <laughs> All of my favorite things are like that. That is how you know you're doing it right. I guess, but <laughs> it was, again, it was timing. I have nothing really to compare it to. You know, I was in bands and stuff, but... I wasn't really trying to make it a thing. So I was just never in the same place in that phase of the mm -hmm. of internet culture or whatever you want to call it. Yeah, and for me, that was the phase. I mean, there was a couple of years where I thought I wanted to be developing a TV show. I thought I wanted to be going down this very narrow path. And I think the failures, at least I'll call them that, of course, if those things hadn't happened or if the timing had been better or whatever, it never would have led me to having to step back, reanalyze, and mm. then start working behind the scenes, which that's been a massive blessing for me. I mean, it's amazing, like the way you've been able to do it and working with all these great acts and, you know, on these 
big time fucking tours. Like these are not tiny little places these guys are playing. Yeah, some of them are, but like, yeah, I've been really lucky. I mean, you know how big the shows are. (laughs) (laughs) To be given the reins for stuff like that, for things that I respect, like you guys and all these other things, I consider that just as much of an honor as if someone bought and liked my album or a piece of art or whatever. Yeah, I think kind of the people who are outside of this zone may not just be aware of the amount of work that it takes to make this shit happen, like every step of the way. (laughs) It's a fuck ton of work. It is. I created a weird little side niche for myself in that I have an expanded role with every act that I work with. So like I'm wearing multiple hats. You know, it's not just a tour manager, it's I'm production manager and I do voices and I'm on stage with certain acts too and running video and blah, 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 blah. And sometimes I do merch for bands. So that has been a curse and a blessing. But yeah, there's a lot of work. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. For you, I've seen the on cinema thing. Mm. Hell yeah. And I think... Other than NSP, that's the only live show of yours I've seen. Mm. I don't have a lot to compare it to, but the amount of stuff going on, even just at an NSP show, which is essentially a pretty traditional music show, Yeah, but it's still like you're queuing the videos, you're setting everything up, you're directing a bunch. If anyone listening to this has seen NSP Live, which I'm sure people have, at the end of the show, JP comes out in a dinosaur costume and we beat him up kind of. (laughs) So you've got to do that and then do costume changes. And I just forgotten until right now how the costume deflated at that 10th anniversary show. At the biggest show ever. Yeah. Do you know about this, Layton? (laughs) No, I don't. (laughs) So we had this recurring bit in the NSP shows for the last few tours where there's animated stuff and an antagonist, Lasersaurus, uh, is kind of attacking the show and the... Show culminates in Lasersaurus showing up on stage, and we have a little semi choreographed fight with him. It's something we discuss occasionally before getting on stage. We had this dude, he's a prop designer for Marvel, and he made this fucking serious costume, <laughs> right? Which is still in my garage here. We'll use it for something someday. But this giant foam head with a laser gun on it and this costume, and It ended up being such a pain in the ass to transport because it's huge and it doesn't fold up. When we did our 10th anniversary show and then moved on to Europe, we were like, you know, we can't bring this whole gigantic thing to Europe. It started when we went to Australia. Oh, that's right. Sorry. Right, right, right. Because Australia was first. Because all the shows were fly dates. So we didn't want to (laughs) bring this extra thing for these costumes. We were checking like 30 pieces already, so... It is a miracle that shit didn't get lost. (laughs) What is it? It's like 12 people traveling with the band and all the instruments, all the costumes, a bunch of gear, Mm -hmm. crazy amount of shit. So we didn't want to bring this one extra thing, which was just a dinosaur costume. You've seen these people listening. It's these inflatable T-Rex heads. They have a little fan and you turn them on. And so when we did our 10th anniversary show in Chicago, because we were going out to Europe, we were like, okay, We'll just bring this to Chicago too. Who cares? Except we, I guess we didn't test it ahead of time. So we're playing for 8,000 people, you know, biggest show of our careers. Uh, and we're recording the show. All our families are there and everything. And you get on stage for the culmination of the show. 
And it was inflated when you got on stage, right? Yes. And then it just slowly <laughs> deflated. And like people are pretending to punch you and you're supposed to like be reacting. You couldn't see anything, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> what a nightmare. I'm sure this was fucking hilarious to everyone who wasn't you guys though, right? It wound up being the best though. <laughs> everyone loved it, including us on stage. Yeah. We couldn't have scripted it better because... You know, you're talking about <laughs> this fucking thing the whole time, and then it shows up, and it just sucks. It's awful. <laughs> it hit that sweet spot of not intentionally awful, you know, which can look just terrible and not funny. But we kind of lucked out that it <laughs> it broke and was very, very funny through no fault of our own. Those happy mistakes that you could never script or replicate again is oftentimes the greatest. <laughs> is this online somewhere where people can witness? We haven't posted it, but I'm sure someone has footage of it. Just some reverse inflation fetish? <laughs> yeah. It took 32 minutes, but we got here. We, we, we got into the inflation <laughs> fetish. New record. I had to lead you off stage, right? I think so. Because Danny wound up hitting me in the head. <laughs> oh, right. Right. Because he was punching me, and usually he knows exactly where to hit me or whatever. Or maybe it was you that hit me, but this big sagging mass <laughs> and you went to hit me and you hit my head instead of the thing. So yeah, I was very disoriented. There were a couple shows. That might be one of them where I rode you off stage. That's very possible too. Because that's also a very convenient way to direct someone, right? Is to straddle them and kind of point them towards a thing. Yeah. Oh yeah. You've got the reins. So steer me. Yeah. Yeah. It's way easier when they're blind. Yeah. I'm happy that that bit is retired, though. Yes, we are not doing that again. We did it for two years, maybe three. Yeah, it was definitely like two album cycle tours, yeah. We wouldn't have done it again in the States, but because we hadn't been to Europe or Australia yet, we were like, fuck it, we'll do it there still because they haven't seen the show. Yeah, and you had so much like ancillary video content that supported that storyline. Yeah, that's why people come to see the NSP shows is because of the ancillary video content. We're very explicit about how fun that is. So circling back around to the On Cinema Live show, I'm curious what that was like and how you translate such a strange, nebulous thing like On Cinema into a live show. It sounds like you're familiar with that universe a little bit. I'm very into On Cinema, yes. I appreciate it very much. So as you know, the two guys... Tim and Greg are playing basically caricatures of themselves with their same names. And, you know, the vibe is that they are almost like they're contractually forced to do this collaboration, but they hate each other. Mm -hmm. So that's how we tried to design the show. So Tim comes out first doing his own sort of standalone thing where he's running for district attorney. Mm -hmm. Tim introduces him begrudgingly and then Greg comes out and does like a really boring slide presentation on the Oh God series of films. <laughs> <laughs> and then Tim's band comes out, Dakar. Of course. Because we tour with Axiom and Manuel. God bless them. I know, they're the best. So each little vignette has its own little staging, its own props, its own costumes. There's like seven or eight acts in the show. Does the show have a body count? Which is always the question about whichever arc of On Cinema you're on. We end the first act with Decker the Play. 
Because we also <laughs> travel with Joe Estevez, who plays President Jason Davidson. Of course. You know, in reality, this touring party is like Greg's in his early 50s, Mike, the production assistant, me, him, and Tim are in our 40s. Axman Manuel are younger. And then Joe Estevez is in his mid-70s. So it's this like traveling ragtag group of this wide-ranging cast of characters. And we're all in a van. And it's just so strange. <laughs> and we go out and eat together and we stay in hotels. And, you know, it's like this really odd group. But anyway, Decker the play, the president comes out, he winds up being kidnapped by terrorists, played by Axie Manuel, and then Greg, Agent Kington, comes out, has to unlock him from this cave and break the code, and Tim has to rescue everybody, and Tim, you know, kills the terrorists and all that stuff. Tim enters from the back of the theater, usually with like a fake little gun and there's like gunshot sounds as he's approaching the stage. And, you know, out of a courtesy, I always prep each venue to be like, okay, everybody, you know, from the front of house staff to the stage crew to the ushers, everybody. I have a big security meeting. I say, okay, there's going to be a fake terrorist attack on stage. And everybody's like, oh my God, okay. You know, they want to know all these details. And then once they see it, they're like, oh my God, that was the dumbest thing ever. Because <laughs> <laughs> they're like, the machine guns are literally just big black sticks. <laughs> because we don't want to fly around with like a fake machine gun or something, right? Of course. And so we've only had pushback one time, and that was in Vancouver. This woman was like so offended that we would even consider doing this terrorist attack. She's like, there's no way people are going to freak out and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I said, you have to trust me that every single person here knows exactly what they're getting into. No one is walking in off the street thinking this is like comedy night or whatever. Even if you didn't know that, you would have to be beyond stupid to not understand that what you're seeing is a bit. Totally. And <laughs> in the theater next door, at the same time, there was a South Asian film festival happening. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, no. And she was like, you expect me to greenlight this thing when all these people are next door and they're going to be triggered. I'm like, how are they going to even see it? What, is, what are you talking about? What a double feature. <laughs> I mean, it was crazy. But we wound up doing it. I remember the stage manager coming up to me after we did it. He was like, that's it? Like, you got to be kidding me. I can't believe she was so upset about it. So, <laughs> Did you talk to her afterwards? No, she was mad. She was really mad at me. That's okay. I win. <laughs> <laughs> but I feel like that is also a hallmark of that style of comedy, which is it's just going to make some people really mad and then they'll tune out and everybody else will have a good time. Yeah, but really no one's getting mad. I mean, she was mad because she was prejudging it. Yeah, yeah. And she didn't know anything about the show. She didn't know any of the context. So, admittedly, when you know absolutely nothing about the extended on cinema universe, it's crazy. <laughs> yeah. It's potentially like one of the most inaccessible pieces of media that, try as I might, trying to induct people into it. It's like, okay, there's a website. You're going to have to go on this website to figure out where to go because this is dozens of hours of content, my friend. Oh, totally. Yes, you've seen the On Cinema timeline. Yeah, I sent it to my dad recently. Hey, dad, probably listening. Just, just you know, it's great. 
It's really good. And I mean, they did the trial was, I think, one of my favorite things they ever did. The trial is like one of the funniest things I've ever seen in my life. It's really, really well done. I've rewatched it so many times. <laughs> it's good every time. You weren't involved with that one, right, Chipping, with the trial? No, I'm not involved in any of the like production of the show or anything. Like, my specialty is like taking a TV show or video content y kind of stuff and translating it to a live stage show. Yeah. Yeah. I've always been so impressed with the Oscar specials, especially the one in 2020. I have time, <laughs> the Joker one, <laughs> where everybody gets gassed. That was 2019. Fuck. No, 2020. Okay. 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 That really made me. Whew. We were on tour with Tim and Eric, and we did a doubleheader show in Washington, D.C., two shows in one night. Tim went to a hotel, flew to L.A. first thing in the morning, did the Oscar special, got on a plane right after, and flew to Philadelphia and met us the next day and did a show. It's just crazy. Yeah, I was watching it with Jory at his place, just drinking some whiskey and fully enjoying it. And I remember him pointing out, like, they're on tour right now. How are they even making this happen? <laughs> I guess it works out if everybody's getting carbon monoxide poisoning and passing out. It's a little bit more low energy. <laughs> Greg in that car is like one of the funniest things. <laughs> I mean, sometimes I'll have to have like an out-of-body experience. Greg is like a brother to me. He and I are very close, good friends. But I'm such a fan too. Mm -hmm. And so it's really easy for me to just like be a fan and watch that stuff. But I have to then remember like, oh yeah, I was just talking to him earlier today about like baseball statistics or whatever we're happy to be interested in. You know? <laughs> Life is amazing like that. Yeah. You were just telling me too a couple of weeks ago when we were hanging out about the conceit of the last Tim and Eric tour. What do you mean by conceit? The virus thing. Oh, yeah. Because they did that show, right? I mean, that was in the middle of happening. Yeah. So they wrote the show. I mean probably finished writing it in, I would say, October of 2019, maybe. Do you know this, Leighton? Do you know what the show was about? No. So the arc of the live show of the last tour was about halfway through, maybe a little further through. So they keep alluding to this sort of nebulous disease called Pork's disease. <laughs> and about three quarters of the way through, Tim winds up going to have a doctor's exam and he gets anally probed by Eric. It was this brilliant thing that came up with where we had, you know, all these medical props that we were traveling with and Tim's wearing a medical gown and he's bent over the stool and we have this probe and Eric is like, all right, I'm just going to put some lubrication on it and insert this in. And as soon as he pretends to stick the thing in, I cut to this video of this silicone butthole. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it zooms into the butthole and then we found this like intestinal footage, <laughs> you know, from like a colonoscopy or something. And it really looks like there's a camera like live in Tim's asshole. Amazing. <laughs> And so, long story short, it turns out that Tim has Pork's disease, and it is highly contagious, and we have to lock down the entire theater. And we're waiting for the military and the CDC to send in an antidote for this virus. And we set up like a fly system to fly in a briefcase, like that was supposed to be coming from a helicopter. 
of all these pills and all but one person in the audience got the pills. So, you know, if the place held 3,000 people, they would say, oh, well, this briefcase contains 2,999 pills. And so they need to have someone volunteer basically to not get the antidote. An audience member. An audience member. And so this was someone we pre-selected, but they didn't know what was going to happen. They knew that something was going to happen, but they didn't know what. Correct. And so when we pre-selected them, I had them text me pictures from their life. And the finale of the show was this funeral. (laughs) We toured with a casket. And so we would wheel out this casket and they would make them get in it. And then we would show like in memory of this person with like a slideshow of their life. And we had to do it every day. Like find a new person, get pictures of them, go shop it all, insert it in. It was crazy. But as Corona started getting more and more into the news, it started to get really odd. And we were like, well, what's weird? There's this virus like going around the world. And, you know, talk of the CDC. And I mean, you don't, on a typical day, you don't hear about the CDC very often, you know? Yeah. So yeah, the last week especially was like... Was that in March? That was in March. Fuck. The last day of the tour, naturally, was the 7th of March. Wow. I mean, and that was after like seven or eight weeks of touring. So, lined up perfectly. (laughs) We got home and immediately went into lockdown. Here's your foreshadowing, folks. It was so wild. Did you notice audiences getting less sure about it, like less laughing or whatever, as you got deeper into the tour? Yeah, I mean, we didn't have a lot of interaction with the audience audience. I mean, but you would hear sort of after the fact that people would be like, yeah, I wasn't really sure what was going on if they were like playing to sort of a current events type of thing or what that was. And it was purely coincidental. So kudos to Tim and Eric for (laughs) being uh, the prophets that they are, you know. Was this when you guys were in Australia? We did it in Australia and then we were home for a week and then started the U.S. tour. Right, because you had this crazy thing that year with NSP2 where you went to Australia three times, is that right? I did, yeah. That Australia flight is a killer. It is a killer. Yeah, we were there in February with you guys. And then I went in November with Eric Andre and I was there in January with Tim and Eric. So yeah, within a year's time. So are you guys like take a Benadryl and conch out on an 18-hour flight, or what's y'all's move? On the Qantas flight to Australia, I mostly just use the in-seat telephone to text message twerp (laughs) and try to communicate with them during the flight. I tried Dan, too, but he never picked up. What the fuck? I know. Phobos would. (laughs) Occasionally, I'd call people. I called Otley. Our sound guy, Matt Otley, a few times. Matt is like the best one to interact with because he's always good for a response. Yeah, he would pick up. He's a good friend. But yeah, Twerp got less into it as the flight got (laughs) further further on. Because it just keeps going. It just keeps fucking going. Every time you're like, surely, surely we're closer. And then they bring you yet another like, here's a treat. That's the most disgusting thing you've ever eaten. Take it, you fuck. First of all, I thought Qantas was a pretty great airline. I'd never flown them before. They had this one, JP, do you remember the boot 
advertisement? Of course. So they had that one guy with the mustache, the little gray mustache. Uh, yeah, he looked like Wilford Brimley. <laughs> yes, he looked like a chubbier Wilford Brimley with a worse mustache. Yeah. And that guy has been burned into my brain because, <laughs> you know, we just flew everywhere in Australia. I imagine even more so for you because you had to do that two other times beyond the NSP stuff. That flight doesn't really bother me. I don't know. It's so long. Like when you have like four, five meals, you watch about seven movies. Yep. And you sleep twice. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And it's a nice airline. It's not a shitty plane. Like the food's somewhat decent. But to answer your question in general, Layden, I don't really sleep much on planes. But when it gets to that level, like that long, you just don't have a choice. Like I, I can't stay up that whole time. Yeah. Oh, planes. I sleep. But you have to. You, I mean, especially given what your job is on these things, JP, like you got to be alert. So when we did it for NSP, we flew into Melbourne, right? And then went straight to Perth. Oh, that sucked. Which is another like five-hour flight. Another five-hour flight with a not very long layover. Yeah. So we had to like motor this shit through the airport from international to domestic. I was lucky that I could just kind of watch you go, but... The amount of like, okay, it's on, I got to get this done that you have to go through is astonishing. Yeah, you have to go through the carnet and all the custom stuff. And I mean, you notoriously send that uh, group text to everyone. I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, right. <gasps> you can explain this bit if you want. We were flying from, <laughs> from New Zealand. We had to go back to Australia. We had to go back to Sydney. To Sydney, yeah. And then to Honolulu. Yes. So that's two international sort of connections. And when you transfer to like a true overseas international flight from a New Zealand flight, you have to switch terminals. You have to go through security twice again. You have to like do all this stuff. And I had done that before. And our flight was delayed. So I knew that we were cutting it short. And so I sent a group text to everyone right as the plane landed. And I can't remember the exact verbiage. You could probably pull it up. But it was basically like, let's not dilly-dally <laughs> and don't wander off, basically. It's basically a note to Lord Phobos <laughs> to, to not wander off. Here, I just sent it again. Okay, thank you. Being that we are a bit delayed... When we deplane, no dilly-dallying. Let's get to our next gate ASAP. <laughs> it has real, like, kindergarten teacher ushering children to the museum for a field trip vibes. It is, and it, I mean, that's kind of his job, right? Yeah, you have to kind of use that language to make it lighthearted, but it's also like, here's the situation. Yeah. Let's all be adults about this. So I liked this text so much that, yeah, now I just randomly send it out every, <laughs> I don't know, th two or three months, every couple of months, yeah. random times of the day. It's a WhatsApp group text. So there are people in Canada, in California, <laughs> Australia. <laughs> it's fun. No one ever responds. No time of day. You are not safe. <laughs> yeah. But that's why we love you so much, Brian. Yeah. Well, also, someone at some point when I did it, someone was like, oh, he'll give up on this soon. And Dan, I remember saying, if you think he's going to give up on this, you don't know what you're getting into. <laughs> then I was like, well, okay, even if I was planning to let this go initially. Now I'm going to do it even harder. Yeah, now I definitely can't. That's funny. You had sent me this thing that you wanted me to say about some pop culture thing. Oh, wow. Okay. 
I guess we're moving on to segments. Well, I just had all this stuff I wanted to talk about. Well, let's do it now. Should we do segments now? I mean, sure, why not? Don't ask my permission, just do it. I was just excited to talk about this. I think it's a great idea to move on to segments. Let me ask you, and, and JP, I will not be upset no matter what the answer is, but have you listened to this show before? I listened to part of an episode as while I was driving. I don't think I heard this segment, though. Well, this is a really special treat then, because this segment has a pretty amazing theme song that I wrote. Oh. Yeah, this is great, because I was hoping you hadn't heard it yet, because I wanted to be here when you hear it for the first time. Great. I mean, you're an artist, you're a musician, you appreciate the finer things in life. I do. And I think you're kind of the perfect audience for this theme song, because it has, what are the attributes of this theme song? It's a little bit intellectual, not very, but a little bit. It's a little bit comedic, but again, not very. It's a melange of all of the styles I've absorbed during my many years of international travel and schooling. Okay. It's basically me. It would basically be listed in that catalog. Yes, that's exactly right. It's me in a nutshell. I brought everything I have to writing it and then performing it. I wrote it, I let it sit for a while, kind of turned it over my brain for a few weeks and then laid down the tracks, let that sit for a few more weeks, went back, edited some stuff, moved it around, and we came up with the theme song that you're going to hear today. I was about to ask if you're ready, but before I do that, hold on, I have to take a drink just a second. How do you deal with this, Layton? <coughs> it went down the wrong pipe. Excuse me. <coughs> oh. <coughs> oh, that's much better. I didn't take the drink yet. Hold on. All right, there we go. So I was going to say, are you ready? But what I really want is your reaction to it when I play it for you. So with that in mind... Uh, hold on, I'm just going to take a drink. Are you ready? Yeah. All right, here's the theme song. What's poppin'? What's poppin'? All right, that was it. So, what did you think? Wow. Well, I couldn't hear it. <laughs> Eat ship, right? <laughs> I thought for sure that was going to work this time. Oh, my God. Oh, I think that's maybe the longest we have ever let you do that, you motherfucker. <laughs> I'm so glad. <laughs> Bastard. What's the backstory here? Layton. JP, you don't know how long I've suffered this. Oh, my God. Uh, Every goddamn fucking episode, Brian does this bit where he builds up what's poppin' and then doesn't play the theme song. No, sorry. To be fair, I've never done this before, I'm pretty sure. And then at the beginning of the year, Brian was like, you know what? I'm not feeling this bit anymore. I think it's mean. And I think we had one episode of peace, and then Brian chose violence. And now we're we're just fully back. Brian, I will say, I will give you kudos on the coughing. That felt very um, Philip Seymour Hoffman boardroom, along came Polly scene, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. Really appreciate the cinematic homage there. I'll take that as a compliment. It's great. Why watch along came Polly? One, for Philip Seymour Hoffman's best pratfall of all time, and then boardroom scene. Just incredible. So 
the point is we put the theme song in post and we could play it here, but it just seemed more fun not to. <laughs> so feel free to cut my reaction out if you want. Oh, no, no. That's the other thing is we don't edit around this. Okay. We explain this shit every episode. <laughs> okay, got it. It's objectively not your fault that the bit failed because I did nothing to indicate something that would have made it succeed. Got it. I was close to saying I really liked it. You made the right Actually, okay, Jarek, clip everything out. No, no, no. Except for I really liked it. No, no, no. And then we'll keep that. And then I think we're in great shape. So, Jarek, you watch your fucking step. You watch your step. <laughs> <laughs> Let's move on to the recommendations since you have so much you want to talk about. So, JP, what's popping? My recommendation, it's not music. It's not a movie. It's not a book. It's not even one show. It's an entire network. Mm. And it is something that has saved the last year for me, emotionally and mentally and physically. And that is the Game Show Network. (laughs) I cannot recommend this enough. Can you get it on an app or is it just on TV? I think there is an app where you can maybe even like play their home versions of their games or something. But it is part of a cable package. Cool. It's GSN, baby. (laughs) and they show some legacy shows like Match Game with Gene Rayburn and things like that. Mm -hmm. But their original content is the best. I'm literally looking at the show lineup right now, and it looks like the kind of fake shows that you would see on 30 Rock. It's so good. And it's like Alfonso Ribeiro hosts Catch 21. Mm Mm-hmm which is basically like blackjack. And you answer these like really easy trivia questions. There's masterminds. My favorite is Get a Clue, hosted by Rob Belushi. There's a Rob Belushi? Jim Belushi's son. Everyone's mouth is open on this website. Just every single still (laughs) wide open. I can see the back of this man's throat. And Leighton, your mouth will be open when you start watching because... (gasps) you will just be drooling over not only the contestants, but the hosts themselves. Incredible. This seems like the pinnacle of entertainment. When Alfonso Ribeiro and the woman who turns the cards on Catch-21, mm-hmm. when they come out at the top of the show, they do a dance together because they were dance partners on Dancing with the Stars. Oh. So they do this like choreographed dance, and then they go their separate ways. She goes over to the cards, he goes to the center stage, and he's like, hey, Whitney, what's going on? And every time she's like, (laughs) hey, Alfonso, I'm just ready to look at these cards and get this party started. (laughs) (laughs) I can't believe they have a, if I'm interpreting this correctly, a People magazine. Oh, People Puzzler with Leah Remini. Yeah. And it's based on the magazine, right? Yes, it's based on the crossword puzzles in People magazine. Which are notoriously the worst. They're so bad. They're so easy. Brian, we should do some of those for a mini-sode. Yes, we should. If you ever want to see a woman who hates her job watch this show, she is so despondent and she could not be so disconnected from these contestants. Who is this person? Leah Remini. Oh, that's Leah Remini, the ex-Scientologist. Correct. JP, have you ever applied to be a contestant on any of these beautiful shows? Oh, JP should be a host. Are you kidding? Yeah. You'd be an amazing host on this. Not on any of these. I auditioned to be on 
either who wants to be a millionaire or deal or no deal. I think it was deal or no deal. You did? Yeah. <laughs> I went, it was in Culver City and I thought that I could do it. You know, I thought I could like fake it. But <laughs> when I got there and was amongst the other potential contestants, I just couldn't do it. In what sense? Like you couldn't come up with the answers or? You have to be very bubbly and very excitable. Mm -hmm. And I couldn't fake it. Nothing in this world more <laughs> exciting than a briefcase. Put a number on that fucking briefcase. Holy shit. <laughs> I think the fact of the matter is, is like I was broke. And so I was like, oh, well, this will be an easy way to make money. And <laughs> mm -hmm. I realized, of course, naively <laughs> that not only is this process drawn out for several months, it's not like you go and then you like win the money that day. Right, right. I think I had, again, sort of an out-of-body experience and was like, this is what I'm doing here? Like, <laughs> come on. This was like six months after I moved to LA. That's amazing. Yeah, is Deal or No Deal still on? No, but Game Show Network does indeed show it in rerun. <laughs> I have never, as an adult, auditioned to be on a game show. I did once... When I was in like second grade, they had this show. Oh, fuck. What was it called? Whiz Kids. It was on when we were kids, JP. I think it was Whiz Kids. Maybe it was, yeah. And it was sort of like a $10,000 pyramid kind of thing where the kids had to get the adult contestants to guess what they were talking about. And I have a very clear memory of they had auditions at my elementary school. And I went in to audition for it. And they said, okay, tell us who Walter Cronkite is. And I was like, oh, I don't know. And then they said, <laughs> okay, next. And that was it. Weird. 40 years later or whatever, I'm still humiliated by the fact that <laughs> I didn't know who Walter Cronkite was when I was seven. Wild. When you were seven. <laughs> yeah. Tragic. Was he still broadcasting at that time? I guess so. Probably. I don't even know. I mean, this would have been, you know, probably 83 or something. Yeah. Fuck. What are your favorite classic game shows, JP? I do love Match Game mm -hmm. because I like Gene Rayburn. I like his microphone, the Sony ECM 50 or whatever mm -hmm. it is. <laughs> Charles Nelson Riley. I'm a big Charles Nelson Riley fan. Oh, he's the best. I like Match Game. I like Sale of the Century. Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't know. I'm so hopped up on these current ones. <laughs> <laughs> There was a period, you know, maybe April, May of last year, where the political news was just crazy. The election was in full swing, pandemic, and I needed to just like check out for the bulk of the day. I'm also a news junkie, so instead of having the news on all day, I just switched to this, and it was great. That's a beautiful thing. How did you discover this? Did you seek this out? I think I discovered it in a hotel, you know? <laughs> Like, on a day off, if you're lucky, you lay in bed all day. Exactly. So I think I saw it at a hotel, and then I had forgotten about it until I was like, God, I need something to cleanse my palate. You know, I need the sushi ginger of TV shows. <laughs> Can you tell me about America Says with, I believe that's John Michael Higgins? Oh, John Michael Higgins. He's really great. He's very funny. He's very funny. So America Says is two teams of four people each, and it's kind of like Family Feud, mm -hmm. but it's dumber if that's possible. <laughs> they say, we surveyed 
hundred Americans. And, you know, when I think of cookies, I think of this brand. I see. Then like seven answers come up. There is the first letter of each fill in the blank is there. So you have a clue. This whole lineup of hosts is essentially white people I barely recognize. And Steve Harvey and Alfonso Rivero. And Alfonso Rivera. I don't see Steve Harvey on this homepage. Yeah, Family Feud is on there with Steve Harvey. I cannot believe the people puzzler one. That's still mystified. It's so bland. <laughs> Just a window into misery. Is that Ken Jennings? Yeah, Ken Jennings is on Masterminds. Yeah. With some woman. With Brooke Burns, I think her name is. I've never heard that name before. She's been on other shows in the past. Like she, I think she did something with like Beer Factor. I see. She's actually really great. She also hosts a show called The Chase. Oh. With this British guy. Yeah, because I was going to say, I, there was a British game show called The Chase. Yeah. They had this big inclined board. Yes. And you had to go up the board. So it's the American version of that, I see. It is, but the guy that's chasing you in the trivia in this version of the show is the British trivia champion. Oh, I see. And he's like 6'10", 300 pounds. He's known as the Beast. And <laughs> he's really good at like general trivia. When you first said, you know, game show, The Chase, I truly assumed was like, oh, there's a man coming for you and he has a knife and you have to go very, very fast. You win, you get a million (laughs) dollars, you lose, you are going to the hospital. The most dangerous game show. Yes. (laughs) Fuck. Hosted by Ted Bundy. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That's a really great idea. The most dangerous game show. Yeah. Thank you. Vernon and I have long had a running bit about a thing called the stabbed with a knife experience where you go to a theme park and there are tiers where it's like there's a first tier guy's going to follow you very slowly. He has his own knife. You get to the highest tier. He's at a quick clip. He's disguised and he picked the knife and it is a sharp knife. (laughs) I've been thinking about this for a long time. Whose idea? Some comedian. Was it a friend? I can't remember now. Had the idea for a haunted house where the whole idea behind the haunted house is that one person who goes will die. And that's the only thing you know. Oh my God. That's their pitch. Someone who comes to this haunted house out of whatever, the thousands of people, one person will be killed. And that's the idea behind the haunted house. Brian, this basically exists. And I started talking about it on one of our earliest episodes. Oh, McManey Manor. McCamey Manor, yeah. And you made me stop because it was too upsetting. But yes, Brian, this does exist. People have died at that haunted house. Really? And the dude is fucking proud of it. Oh, wait, people have died there? Fuck. Yeah, yeah. Dude brags about how a guy had a heart attack and died. Like, it's his pride and joy. Russ McCamey is a real sick pup. Layton, what's popping? What's popping for me is a Belarusian post-punk synth-pop new wave band called Molshot Doma. Oh, this sounds awesome. Fuck, it's so good. But the album I'm recommending, I'm completely going to butcher the title of it, but it's Itazi. But it's just like, you know what? This doesn't have nearly enough reverb. And they kept adding the reverb and they're like, nope, more, more, more. Lead singer is very like Ian Curtis. It's just like perfect throw on in the background because it's all in Russian. I don't speak Russian, but it's very cool. I highly recommend it. And that is my very brief for once what's popping because I don't consume any content anymore except for blasting my brain with horrible things on the internet. Check out Game Show Network. (laughs) (laughs) That was a good read. Brian, what's popping? What's popping for me is Rachel and I, this is not my what's popping. Cheating. But I will say it. We watched the Coming to America sequel. 
Oh, what'd you think? Did you see it? Yeah. It's so nice to see everybody. <laughs> and it's not a great film. Yes. First of all, it, just watching Eddie Murphy and Arsenio Hall back together again is really, these are guys I grew up with, you know? It's, it's nice to see them doing a thing together. There's a lot of callbacks to the original film, including some really minor characters that they bring back. I had a great time watching it, but I don't think I can actually like recommend it. Yeah, sure. We should have like a different version of what's popping where it's like, yeah, I consumed this thing. It was fine. Cause I read yeah. all of Fahrenheit 451 yesterday for the first time. Mm. It's fine. Yesterday? Yeah. Okay. I watched Game Show Network, but whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Big flex. What did you think of coming to America, JP? Yeah, I have similars. I mean, there was a lot of lackluster writing. Yes. I wished they had pumped the daughter narrative more than the son. Totally. I thought the son was very uninteresting. Yeah. I like that actor, Jermaine Fowler. I thought he was good, but having the three daughters do something would have been way more interesting. Well, and you knew that it was going to wind up being the daughter at the end. Yes, of course. Not to spoil it for anyone, but I wish that that had risen to the top a little bit more throughout the arc. Yeah. Yeah, I thought Leslie Jones was good. I thought the barbershop scenes were like what you want them to be. Yep. But I can watch Coming to America any day of the week and be satisfied. Mm -hmm. I don't think I would watch this again. 100%. Yep, I'm glad I saw it. It's how I feel about like the Star Wars prequels <laughs> or even most of the new Star Wars movies. Yeah. I can watch the originals anytime, anywhere, but I think I've seen Revenge of the Sith maybe twice in my life. And that's enough. I'm exactly the same. Glad I saw it. Wouldn't go out of my way to see it again. Yeah. But my point being, so that was not my what's popping. I was thinking about Eddie Murphy and I had watched when his Rudy Ray Moore biopic Dolomite, as my name, came out. We were on tour. I think we were in Toronto at the time. And I watched it there and hadn't seen it since. And Rachel had never seen it. So we watched Dolomite, as my name. Have either of you seen this? No. No. It is fucking great. It's about Rudy Ray Moore. was a guy I loved in college. He's a classic storyteller, comedian from the 70s. Basically, his whole act was he played this kind of like street character, like sort of a exaggerated pimp style guy. And a lot of his act was like African-American folk tales, but made like super X-rated. And he was in a ton of movies in the 70s, probably up through the early 80s. Just a really outsized, wild character and a big, big figure in his time. And Eddie Murphy stars as him in this biopic directed by the guy who did Hustle and Flow and Coming to America, Craig Brewer. And it's got an amazing cast. The subject matter is fantastic. It's Eddie Murphy, Titus Burgess, Keegan-Michael Key, Mike Epps, Snoop Dogg's in it briefly, Chris Rock's in it briefly. All these, you know, really fun actors. It's a little too facile at some points, but it's it's a fun, feel-good story about, and it's a period piece, takes place in the 70s. I just thought it was great. I highly recommend it. Fuck yeah. I definitely heard good things about it. There were some quote-unquote Oscar buzz for Eddie Murphy at the time. And he really like does a great job as Rudy Ray Moore. Fabulous. So that is what's poppin'. And now we segue into our final segment, which is Peaches and Lemons, which is part airing of petty grievances and a gratitude exercise. So we will start each naming a lemon 
which is a thing that, as Vernon very wisely put it, ruins your next 10 to 15 minutes, or is in general just a thing that it's a mild bummer. So, squeeze that lemon right in my eye, baby. All right, I'm going to go first. Did you know that a hard drive can be too full to back up? Because I just found this out. Yeah, I guess I know now. Have you heard of this before? I'd never heard of this. Nope. My desktop computer in my garage studio, which you have both been in, I backed this thing up, and I went to back it up the other day because it had crashed, and I freaked out. I texted you late, and it was right after we recorded our episode last week. Yeah. So the computer shuts down. I try to boot it up again, and it goes into something called internet recovery mode, which it, you cannot opt out of. Yo, I need to go into internet recovery mode. (laughs) (laughs) And I thought it was like reformatting the hard drive. And I like almost lost my mind because I thought it was about to erase everything. It turns out it didn't. I'm not even sure what it is. Like I didn't put enough effort into looking it up. But since then, when did we record with Pete Layton? It was last Wednesday. Since then, I've been trying to back this fucking hard drive up. And I only succeeded yesterday after deleting way too much stuff on it. I had like a few gigabytes free. Only once I got it to like 20 free gigabytes on a one terabyte hard drive, did this thing actually back up. And it gave me an explicit error message that said too full to back up. I still don't know what's going on. I was not aware of this problem, but you definitely like never want to be on those last like 50 gigabytes with anything. Well, it's awful. Yeah. Anyway, it all worked out, but I was also sure. I was like, well, it's going to totally crap out and then I'll lose everything. But it worked out. It's all good now. I am glad. But stressful few days. JP? I have like one and a half lemons. My first one is the Cars for Kids song. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. I don't know if you want to play that. (laughs) What the fuck is this? It's a radio song. Oh, no. 1877 Cars for Kids. And it's sung by children and some man. And... I hate it, and that's it. Oh, no. It's like you donate your car, and it goes to kids or whatever. Nope, nope. It sucks. I love watching these children pretend to play pink instruments. I'm not playing an ad for these guys. but No. (laughs) So anyway, that's that. That's miserable. My second one is sort of the half gripe, and that is I like unscented soaps. Mm Mm-hmm. They're better for your skin. Yeah, and I'm like sensitive to fragrance. But don't you find that unscented soaps and detergents, it almost doesn't feel like it's getting clean because you can't smell it? 100%, yes. I completely agree with you. Yeah. Thank you. And yet I find most of the scents completely untenable. Oh, totally. It has to be the most mild tea tree scent for me to like tolerate it. Yeah, even like the plain Dr. Bronner's. Oh, it's so strong. Yeah. Terrible. A lot of them are really floral. Yeah. And I hate that. Fake coconut smell is very upsetting to me. See, I love the smell of copper tone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that shit's good. I can see that, yeah. It smells like a hot, sweaty, sandy body. Which is great in context on the beach, fine, <laughs> but not for soap. I just want... A very slight hint of something, and that's it. But I agree. If it's unscented, it feels like it's not working. Totally. So that's my grapes. Beautiful. 
my lemon is the other day I was having a nice little, maybe do you want to come up while I talk about you? Come on. I was having a nice little um, garage hang with two friends and maybe was hanging out in the garage and we made a little makeshift barrier of crates so she would not make a break for it. And then maybe found a little rawhide chew in the garage, took it in her mouth and then jumped the fuck over that barrier and bolted down the street Oh no! with her prize. Oh God. Like a 1920s bank robber getting away with like a bunch of gold bullion, like, <laughs> you'll never catch me. And she was- so happy running right next to traffic right off of the freeway and me running and screaming after her. I was able to get her, but whew, that that was uh, enough excitement and dog terror. Terrifying. For a whole week because she's so small and people drive like just dumb asses on my street. So here you are, you bastard. Yeah, that's you. Maybe says hi. And she did not yet eat the resistor that fell into the shag carpeting. I did not find it during this episode, so we'll, uh, yeah. We'll see what happens. Yeah, we will see how it happens. I I might go in there with a magnet, see what can be done. If you notice her getting dimmer. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I might have to get in there with my soldering iron. So yeah, that's my juicy little lemon, and now we shall do peaches, where each of us uh, name shit we're grateful for. Do you want to go first on this one, Leiden? Yeah, so I don't forget. My first one is sweatpants. Sweatpants have been the real MVP this year. I don't want to wear jeans anymore. I just want to wear sweats. Second peach, I really love Francis Bacon, the painter. He's probably my favorite. Oh, yeah, the best. Yeah, every once in a while I go through and I just like look through all his stuff and reread his life story because he's just so interesting in the whole saga with like his lover who committed suicide and sort of how that affected his art going forward and like all of the artists who were inspired by Francis Bacon. Like, it's just a fascinating story. If anybody is interested in it, there's a great documentary on YouTube called Violence with a Brush, where they interview a bunch of his friends. And I love art history. Art history is great. And my final peach is a very large one. Finally, after months of fighting, cheesy Fiesta potatoes are back. It feels good to win one. Oh, a Taco Bell. Mm-hmm. Well, congratulations. You bet I ordered literally six of them. It's a transcendent thing. So much was taken away from us this year. Did the internet lose their minds when these went away? Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. Because, you know, the great thing about Taco Bell is that it's very, like, vegan and vegetarian friendly, mostly because of the black beans and potatoes. And, you know, a lot of friends who are vegetarian were like, yeah, the spicy potato soft taco is my shit. Didn't they take away the seven-layer burrito? They took away, like, everything on the menu. It's just cruel. Yeah. It's an exercise in grief. I mean, a seven-layer burrito with no sour cream or cheese is, like, my jam. Oof. Yeah. I don't trust Taco Bell, but I won't bite the hand that feeds unless they take the potatoes away again, in which case I will gnaw the entire hand off. (laughs) Anyway, so those are my peaches. One of you? JP. One of mine is I have this back roller that my girlfriend gave me. It's like this circle that you like lay on and you roll around mm-hmm. on it. Mm-hmm. And it's basically like a huge green PVC pipe with like padding on it, basically, right? Mm-hmm. And it's called the chirp wheel. But anyway, I keep it in my living room and my cat walks through it. <laughs> and it's the best. 
<laughs> Dual purpose. It is the best when she does it. Because I like thinking about her making choices. <laughs> and, you know, she was a stray cat and she chose to live with me. And I like that she chooses to walk from one room into the living room through the portal. And that gives me a lot of pleasure. <laughs> also, those rollers are so good for your back. I love that shit. Yeah, I mean, I have a lot of back and shoulder and neck stuff. So I, I use it quite often. <laughs> My other one is, this is sort of a little pat on the back to myself, I guess. But I finally had time this last year to set everything up. I built a new studio that you saw, Brian. It's very small. Yeah. It's perfect size for me. And everything is set up and plugged in and ready to go, whether I want to make a new drawing or do a new recording or make a video or whatever. It's like kind of like weatherproofing your house. You're prepared for any creative weather cell that may drift over you. If it's all ready to go and plugged in, you can irrigate that flow to where you need it to go. And it took a long time for me to even have the time to think about that. So I'm glad that I have that. That's lovely. That's a great space too. Thank you. I have also grown to appreciate when it comes to be like five or six o'clock in the afternoon, evening, and I realize I haven't spent any money or haven't watched TV or been on the internet. I've been like outside doing something or inside doing something or whatever. It's a nice reminder to have gone through the day without participating in that stuff. That's great. I can't even remember the last time I did that. I'm sure it's nearly impossible when you have a kid. Yeah. But suddenly it hits you like, oh, I didn't do anything. I didn't give Amazon any money today or I didn't, you know. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, there you go. Awesome. Beautiful peaches. Brian? All right. <laughs> Number one, we've been watching a lot of The Muppet Show recently now that it's on Disney Plus, as I've talked about in the past. But I realized yesterday that Audrey has animals haircut and <laughs> it had never quite hit me before that she has that same like shaggy craziness because she was like headbanging or something. And I was like, oh my God, we gave our daughter the haircut of Animal the Muppet. And every time I see her little shaggy head, it just makes me super happy <laughs> because she spends a lot of time screaming and like kind of headbanging. Number two, I finished a book I've been reading for well, probably a couple months now. I talked about it on here a few weeks ago, God's Shadow, A History of the Ottoman Empire and Sultan Selim. And it's a fascinating book, which recontextualizes a lot of things that uh, I thought I knew, and I cannot recommend it highly enough. And it's always nice to finish, you know, actually finish a book. It was not a hard read. It's like 400 or so pages, but really fun and educational and all and all sorts of great ways. It's a great book anyway, so it's God's Shadow. And finally, <laughs> I don't know why this is a peach, but it was really fun at the time. It was actually really awful at the time, <laughs> but I guess I'm grateful for it, is I had probably the worst nightmare I've had in years the other night, <laughs> where I was in bed, and suddenly a bunch of hands reached out of the bed and grabbed onto me, and then some kind of smiling, like evil grinning demon face appeared. And apparently I started scr 
screaming in my sleep, just going, and, Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. And Rachel woke me up because I was screaming out loud because, you know, I don't know what the fuck the hands were doing, but grabbing onto me and dragging you to hell. It's nice to feel alive sometimes is the point. <laughs> <laughs> there is something about having a nightmare in that fashion that is just sort of like, once you're past the initial wake up panic, you're kind of like, hell yeah, my brain still got it. Yeah, exactly. Like that never happens to me. Like I have, you know, occasional nightmares and bad dreams and stuff, but nothing that like, okay, this is so crazy. I'm going to be screaming out loud right now kind of thing. Brian, let's trade. I just, I can't stop having nightmares, bro. <laughs> yes, I'd be happy to invent the technology and then trade with you. Please. That's it, everybody. We're done. JP, this is awesome. Thank you for being here. Thank you both for having me. Yeah, this was a treat. Where can people find you online? My website is jpinc.tv. I'm at JP Incorporated on Instagram and Twitter and all that stuff. And YouTube. People should plan to invest one hour into the massage video, but you will likely be asleep within 15 to 20 minutes. Yeah. That's what we like to hear. It is legitimately fun and awesome. Everyone should go watch it. I really love it. Thank you. Feel free to put the link in your description or whatever. Oh, we will. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You can also hear JP on a couple twerp songs too, right? A lot of twerp songs. Oh, yeah. We did The Perfect Product together. I did some stuff on Lady World. And then we did their Return to Wherever sort of concept album. Yeah. I'm sort of narrating through, you know, a handful of those songs. Yeah. Lovely. And Brian, I got to say, if it weren't, I mean, you and Dan and all the NSP side, like, you know how grateful I am for that. But the twerp relationship is so precious. I just, I love them so much. And it has been one of those instances where you feel like we've all been friends for so many eons. Totally. I feel that way about those guys and you too. Like, it's just such a wonderful group of people where it feels like all the right things came together at the right time. Totally. <laughs> and they're just the sweetest dudes. It's ridiculous. They really are. Yeah. With the people we've been on tour with NSP, which is, you know, me, Dan, Twerp, JP, Matt, our sound guy. Justin was there for a while. Vernon. Dylan. Dylan, of course. Dylan, how can I forget Dylan? I'm sure there's someone else I'm forgetting. But it's just like the best collection of people. Stella was there for a little bit. Brent. Anus. Yes. <laughs> uh, Anus, the bus driver. Yep. Yeah, she was great. It's such a wonderful group of people, and I have basically no other experiences touring, so it's hard for me to compare, but I can't imagine a better group to do that stuff with. Well, let me tell you, for someone who's done a lot of touring, it's not an easy <laughs> thing to come by, you know? It's easy to take it for granted how easy it is sometimes. Yeah, because I would imagine also you get one bad apple and the whole thing is just awful. Right. Like it really only takes one person to fuck it up for everybody. Yeah, sure. And like, I think there's something to be said for if somebody's having a bad day or a bad series of days, you can be forgiving. And, you know, sure, it's also very stressful. It's a pleasure. This is a lovely note to end on. Well, everyone, thank you so much for listening. As always, be well and stay safe. Come hard. That's the end of the episode. See ya. Why did I dig this cum hole for myself?
Leighton Night is produced by Brian Wecht, Leighton Gray, and Jarek Centeno. Follow us on Twitter at Leighton Night, on Instagram at Leighton underscore night, or email us at LeightonKnight at gmail.com. <laughs>